Oh no, I'm stuck in the house. Welcome to episode 316 of the Creighton Crowbar. It is the 26th of March, 2020. And joining me in this internet room is Alex Wiltshire. Hello. And Marsh Davies. Hello. 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 Would you like to continue trying to figure out what's wrong with microphones and or the internet for an hour or should yeah. we podcast? I think this is good content. It's been con- good content for the past 43 minutes. So mm. why not continue? Yeah. Um, so we are, for reasons that will be obvious to everyone on Earth, um, recording our first ever remote Great and Crowbar, the thing we said we would never do. Um, these lengths we've now been forced to go to uh, by Jeff Keeley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so uh, off the top of the bat, I just wanted to say that this is a bit of an experimental process. Things are probably going to... Uh, go a little wrong or you know audio may be not what you're used to so for that reason this may be a little bit shorter podcast than usual uh and please forgive us if we uh, are bad at this format it's weird for me to not be able to kind of try and make someone uncomfortable by staring at them when they're talking so i uh i i really don't know how i'm going to handle this new this new medium personally <laughs> uh and as a second as a second opening point i hope everyone in the community is 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 keeping well and uh, as well as possible in this very strange time uh, i know it's a bit of a serious note but uh, so uh everyone should know my epson software updater has informed me that there is a firmware update for my printer and it wow. would like to install it right fucking now <laughs> life continue life finds a way <laughs> the epson software updater in many ways the moth of the digital realm uh, i will cockroach. i'm going to exit without installing but maybe we'll see a little bit more from that happy pop-up friend later in the episode um, but yes, hope everyone in the community, everyone listening is, is, is doing well. This is how this podcast is going to work for the, for the foreseeable, he said, shrugging. So we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll make the content happen. Uh, we're going to do some news, but a little bit of different kind of news. Alex. Yeah. Do you want to tell us the story? I'll deliver some news. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, this is like a little bit, because we didn't do a pod last week. We would have talked about it in last week, but, um, uh, early last week, I was very interested to read about, um, Google Stadia's, uh, plans for mach- using machine learning to make the games. And, um, there've been mm. some interview, some interviews with, um, Erin Hoffman John, who leads the R&D department, um, talking about, the wonderfully named uh, technology they've put together called Chimera. Tell me, <laughs> if you came up with some technology, which is a bit frightening for, you know, lovers of things that are made and designed by human beings, uh, and, you, you know, would you choose the name Chimera? <laughs> because I, I would. I, I think maybe something like uh, Art Render or, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Freelance Terminator 5000. <laughs> or something like, you know, something along these lines would, would be better. Is, but you know. yeah the obsolete or something yeah like that. exactly <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah, yeah. This, 
this thing is like it it is designed and you know like you know the the, the reasoning behind it is entirely um just logical for today's kind of reality which is hey it's difficult to make games why not uh get the humans to do the kind of proper creative stuff and get computer to do the um general sort of um repetitive uh boring stuff um but one of the examples they use is um hey you know ccgs all those cards they need art on them why not get a computer to do the art and so they they trained chimera to uh on a load of um cards to do sort of a ccg card art um and it's weird actually um, i did see it when i first looked at the news story and now the news story has none of the art on it i was going to share it with um with you too but um it's all gone and i can't find anything online of it it's like maybe we shouldn't have let that out because it was right. bad it was pretty bad but bad in that kind of you know well it's clearly going to get better kind of bad you know mm. um and you know and, and like my initial kind of response was oh dear uh this can't be allowed to happen because you know uh you know, you let you, you games are made by people, and that's the most exciting thing about games. And and the card, uh, the, the 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 art on on CCG cards is a great, huge, important part of appreciating a CCG. Mm. Um, so I was appalled, but then I kind of started thinking, well, I play a lot of games which are uh, procedural, you know, and that procedural, you know, that procedural system has been created by people making lots of decisions, you know. They are very human made, even if lots of their the what I'm actually experiencing is automated based on those decisions. And I'm trying to figure out like where where does the line between okay, the you know, the, you know, the gains of, of a small team being able to make a big game um and being able to automate those stuff versus the losses of every you know, total human control over stuff, where where does that go? And then mm. then I have to admit, I had a, f- a, a, a few kind of eyebrow-raising responses to at least one of the interviews that that you linked, Alex, which, uh, because obviously one of the things this is being touted as being able to do is to allow a team, uh, a, a modest-sized team or a small team, make World of Warcraft, right? Yeah, Take yeah. away the asset generation thing. The first uh, the first question I would ask is, is that a problem anyone has? Um, is Are there teams of, you know, I don't know, five to ten 10 to 20 people out there going like the only way for us to be viable and realize our dreams as game developers is to make a sprawling MMO which needs loads of variants of different kinds of goblin like I don't know I mean I imagine there are small teams out there that would love to grow and make a bigger game but I don't know if that's I don't know it doesn't strike me as I can't think of this is the question right there aren't no there are no examples of you know, small indies turning out a massive game and that being a huge success. There are plenty of examples of small uh, or smaller indie studios doing a modest-sized project that and being that being hugely successful, yeah. like something like say the Spire or Dead Cells or something like this. Because I I have come across quite a lot of projects. So like you know, so the there have been a lot of um, small teams trying to do big games in. Oh gosh, what's the um. What's that London-based uh, company that's making the kind of networky special um, improbable? Oh, improbable, yeah, yeah. So there are lots of small teams making very big games there because that's mm. like MMO technology, um, and and like and but I think you're you're dead right to say, 
where are the where are the kind of the the, the examples of that being success? Because you do get quite a lot of you right. do odd get the odd kind of small team making big game thing. Certainly, though, my experience of working in a small team expectations of the wider world are oh is it going to be like world of warcraft like this you know when i worked hello games you know oh we want it to be a huge game we want everything to be unique we want you know and that was the the solution for hello games when making um no man's sky was Mm. procedurally up the up the bajaxi (laughs) as they say (laughs) <laughs> um, I think that's, that's what it said in that trailer, wasn't it? That is the, yeah, it's the technical <laughs> term. It was, the, yeah, yeah. Every, every atom every of ba- the bajaxi. <laughs> every bajaxi is a procedural. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you're right. I suppose the, the, the more accurate way of saying what I was trying to say is like, is scale itself a problem developed yeah. stuff? Like, is, is scope the only thing people are looking for? Uh, you know, they have other options beyond I will train an AI to solve this problem. Um, the other thing that that really stood out to me was there was a part of the article that talked about using machine learning to balance games and balance a card game, for yes. example. And that is one of those things. Like, so this whole conversation is like um, an exercise for me in like it's like a there's like a Takeshi's Castle of hot takes where I want to get my hot take to the end of this segment and for Mike Cook to still uh, <laughs> be smiling and nodding <laughs> rather than. Uh, rather than dourly shaking his head. One of those two things is true at the moment, and uh, I just I currently don't live in an uncertainty. I don't know if this is a desirable use for um, machine learning on the basis that... Well, I, I'll say this. For both uh, for both balance and for broader issues of, like, they say you know, that the AI can be brought in to, to design uh, visual elements to communicate certain things, these aren't... Uh, absolutes neither of those uh, outcomes for this tool account for feel really like you might want the art to you know you can say i would like this to look less like a bird and more like a fish um but the decision of whether that feels right for the game and what consistently feel consistency feels like across the game and what the art as a whole expresses all of that stuff is so uh all of that stuff requires a human similarly the goal of a competitive the game the goal of game balance is not necessarily perfect balance no sure and, and so like an ai might be able to f- help you find outliers or something like that but so can a good designer and the, i think so yeah. i i you i can sort of you know I, I i can just see all their counter arguments so they would argue i would imagine that um yeah sure balance isn't about making everything fair and, and it's not you know and and game feel well that's best placed in in best placed in the the hands of a human designer and you know why not let them focus on that sort of important mm. stuff while the machine learning thing chunders around in the numbers and discovers that well you know people are using this particular weapon more than any other is there like and highlighting it as a possible problem like you know why waste your your um skilled designers time and effort on stuff that is boring like that and get them to think of the solutions as a result i mean yeah but at that yeah. point is that still i mean this is something where someone who's more expert in ai than me would be able to win at that point is that still machine learning because that just sounds like good analytics like yeah well i think the machine yeah. learning thing is like you give it a bunch of of numbers and you don't need to to, to do the statistician thing of asking specific questions of it, the machine learning will surface right. stuff to you without you having to like think about it so heavily that you may as well just do it yourself, sort of thing. Yeah, 
I, think, I feel like this, yeah. is, this is a tool that's meant to be used for very specific purposes. I think you're, you're, you're right, Chris, that you, you couldn't just let this loose on, on a game and it's not going to tell you how it feels uh, about the various scenarios that it encounters, but it is a way of sort of brute-forcing basic QA. Yeah. Mm. I, in games in which the kind of options available to you are quite prescribed. I, again, it wouldn't be useful in uh, the context of, say, an MMO or even um, a game like uh, No Man's Sky where there's uh, quite a, a large field in which the player can operate and do many different things and it's more about the experience of being in that environment. But in a game which is, for example, a turn-based game where you just want to... or or a, or a CCG where you essentially want to see how people fall down this pachinko machine of, of options that you've given them, then I could see that the just letting an AI bash its head against your game repeatedly could be a way of mm. finding s- statistics that are useful to you as a designer. Yeah. I, I and definitely since, see the... Sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, actually, uh, in, in terms of the art thing, um, in, in terms of uh, an AI just generating huge, huge reams of art, I, I can see that being useful as well in certain circumstances. In fact, I was trying to do this earlier today. <laughs> um, not not specifically for um, a, a video game, but I, I'm, I'm, I've been playing around with an idea for uh, uh, a board game which would involve um, lots of portraits of various different aristocrats. And in my lazy way, I was thinking, well, maybe I could just uh, see if there's an AI generator for 18th century portraiture, uh, <laughs> like a, like a Gan breeder thing. I don't know if have you guys used Gan breeder? Gan breeder, what is mm. it? It's uh, I mean, th- there's a lot of different kinds of uh, sort of AI image breeding tools now, mm. which are all a lot of fun to play with. Gan breeder, I don't know if that Gan breeder is like a. a, a uh, a kind of breeding machine, or whether that's some sort of brand name, I don't really understand exactly where these words come from. But um, uh, it, it allows you to plug in a bunch of different um, source files, and then you can change the different sliders. And it's incredibly good at creating everything from fortresses to uh, you know submarines and strange spaceships to more organic things. None of them look finalized, but they are an amazing starting point. Oh, for uh, for mm. artists to overpaint, um, and so uh, there's incredibly talented uh, concept artists uh, like um, Pascal Blanchet, who's who's really got into uh, using Gan Breeder to create amazing different forms and shapes. And he had, there's obviously mm. a bit of skill to it. Um, and I don't think that's that the, that AI stuff will create like an end point for for game art, but it's uh, at least not now. But it's an incredibly good starting point, I think, to create interesting forms. Uh, but to go back to the, the the portrait generator thing, what I discovered is that yes, you, you can <laughs> you can generate a huge number of 18th century portraits. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, n- not only that, but I went to the site where it, it advertised itself as being a sort of portrait generating thing. It has a bunch of base files that you can use, which range from photography to illustrations to uh, to art. But you can also upload your own source images. Copyright gets a bit murky here, I think, but. Um, uh, you're safe with 18th century portraiture, I think, unless the photo- photographs of the portraits are copyrighted. I don't know that. Shit. But I noticed that the the site was because you can see which what portraits people have made public recently, right. uh, created, 
and it's obviously a, a great resource for um, phishing scams because there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pretty 20 year old women (laughs) (laughs) that have been generated by this thing um all with you know uh you know names with numbers after them so it's it's yeah there's there's something somebody's making really good use of it i'm not sure it's video games yet but i (laughs) (laughs) oh wow because it's because it's like that this person does not exist yeah Mm. yeah Mm. I mean, but you can as well. you can actually see like you can actually tell what um what that has generated because even though they look really supernatural, hmm. uh, supernaturalistic I should say, not supernatural. Be nice if they did. <laughs> this ghost this person does doesn't not exist. exist. Yeah, this is a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's a there is a, like a completely and you don't notice it until you're told about it. But like their pupils are in always in exactly the same location in the image. And every single mm. one, and as soon as you realize, oh my god! Finally, we've we've gamed it until it kind of leapfrogs us again. Yeah, you. I mean, you can definitely detect uh, at uh, when they are fake if you scrutinize the pictures. But I mean, I don't. I don't know that that really matters if you're yeah. generating card art or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a real chimera. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, I, I think as soon as you start to. Oh, my screen just switched off. This is exciting. Um, uh, what, what a medium. Um, get some NVIDIA the, updates on the go. Come on, hell Chris. yeah. Let's, let's see. What else, could, what else could possibly decide? To, uh, well, why is my printer open in two separate windows? That's not going to come back to bite me. Um, as soon as you, like, I admit to being skeptical about this kind of thing, but I think on reflection, I'm more skeptical about the way this stuff is marketed and the way this does the rounds in the press. Yeah. Uh, every now and then than the actual, the fundamentals of technology, because I agree. Like, I think there are, Obviously, bespoke uses for stuff like this, tailored to specific games, that's definitely not what's being discussed here, because these things are always discussed in terms of, uh, packages that can be rolled out, um, you know, all at, all at once. And I think one weakness in the way this stuff is, tends to be either marketed or promoted is there's a desire, I think, to sum up everything this technology can do into a single technology. I think that, I think that, into a single game, sorry. And mm-hmm. I think, I think this very similar thing happened actually with, with Improbable and other companies doing cloud-based stuff, where the desire was, how do we express this using a game that uses all of this at once? And this is very rarely a game that you necessarily really want to play. Um, and similarly, a game that is entirely generated is not something you really want to play. And so they're kind of forced, I think, into this cul-de-sac of like, well, a card game might be able to be fully gen- uh, rendered by this thing. Yeah. Um, but that's not actually really a desirable use for it. I can see the value in something like machine learning as a QA resource for indies that do not have the budget for a QA department yeah. for a yeah. game that warrants it. That's actually a pretty good idea, like some kind of service that games can be plugged into. Uh, you and know. you do wonder, I do wonder, like, you know, say the Spire is an amazing game, obviously, mm. and, um, you know, the, the, their ability to balance that game is sort of, you know, f- close to unparalleled, yeah. you know, in two, two people teams, you know, that I'm aware of. Um, what if those people, what if that team was given a tool like this? Uh, what kind of game could they do knowing that they didn't? weren't limited to what two people can do in terms of game balancing data of kind of you know churning through that data and i think and i think that's the other side of it is um anything that generates a random effect is a really or a random set of stimuli is a good prompt for creativity that's basically what you were saying right marsh that you can use Mm. this sort of thing to form the baseline for a cool idea that still uses all your aesthetic sensibilities i do feel like that's a much less sexy pitch 
for AI-assisted game development than the one they're going with. And I understand why they're going with the one that they're doing, but yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, it, yeah, it feels like they they want to say press a button and it'll make a game for you, and that's and it's probably no. not. And, and, and like, although that is what Stadia needs. <laughs> <laughs> and whereas, like, yeah, but what the reality is is like press a button and we'll create a whole bunch of things that might be pick might be the monster you wanted and some of them might make you think of a better monster and then you'll draw that yeah and yeah. that's yeah that's you know i i'm glad that exists but but yeah that's it I, I think this stuff will get up to a point where it will make i mean if you look at the games that are out there we were talking i don't want to dunk on the game that we we're all dunking on privately today um but there are games out there that have really fucking generic boring art and I think we will this get to the like point. This feels like we can dunk on it. <laughs> can we? Can we dunk? Do we have it within ourselves at this time of crisis just to merrily <sighs> yeah, shit on I, another game? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I do, honestly. No. Um, but uh, I think we'll get to a point pretty quickly where, you know, the a million goblins generated by uh, an AI will be up to some sort of <laughs> acceptable mass market standard but i think i think what we'll find is that <laughs> but not yours no obviously my, my my goblins are very high class alex the i think we'll come to appreciate things which are more personal and intimately mm. created and i think we'll find that you know at least discerning people will i'm sure there'll still be a market for stuff which is just you know generalized generated trash but uh i think we will we will want a personal connection we will want somebody had to have made a thing for us this right. is also almost the the opposite of you uh the, the talk of the death of the artist on the last podcast like i think we would as a society wish to resurrect the artist and then have tea make with them, them fight a terminator <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Death of the Artist 2. <laughs> Judgment Day. <laughs> uh, sorry, I've ruined your point there, which is a good point. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that, um, the idea of, uh, an artist, uh, uh, fighting a Terminator does, that, that segues really neatly into, a game that we're probably going to be talking about later on, or maybe mm. now. We could even talk about it now if you like. Yeah. Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal. Maybe there's not much art in it, but I like I it. I don't know. I think there's a lot of art in that game. <laughs> um, but it's. Boy, so we've all played Doom Eternal, right? Yes. How how deep into the, the gore pit have you descended? I've done Gosh. the gore nest. I'm just, I just got to the gore nest. I don't know what the gore nest is, so I okay. assume I haven't got that. <laughs> have you um, have you done a, the first like boss fight, Marsh? Uh, I don't know. What was the first boss fight? With? You'll you'll know. You'll know. Yeah, it, it makes a big chunk song and dance about it. You'll know. Um, Did I do it? it? It's it's like a are you, it's a it's some kind of demon man. Um, <laughs> it's like oh, it, it's man. like it's like the top half of a Satan, the bottom half of a hovercraft. Yeah. Oh, is he? No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, have you got the super shotgun? No. Oh, okay. Come along now. All right. No, that's fine. I just wanted, just wanted to place everyone's experience. So Alex is the, the most experienced Doomman, but otherwise, yeah. Doomatier. So 
yeah, I don't know where to, how to embark on this really. Like, cause I, mean, I, 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 I had really weird first impression of it and I want to see what everyone else thinks basically. I mean, <laughs> my first impression, and I think that this is fairly universal is, Oh my God, I can't hold all the bits and pieces in my head at once. Mm. Um, there's like, you know, cause I, I thought, I mean, okay, so, so, so I, I really loved the, um, Doom 2016 as, it, as it's become named, which is kind of a shitty name, but there you go. <laughs> um, uh, I, I really loved its feel. I loved huge amounts about it. Um, one of the things that just never really applied to me is it's kind of one of its core, uh, economies, which was the idea that you'd be getting, uh, ammo off. I, I never, I, I just never used the chainsaw basically. And the chainsaw in the first mm. one was also designed to give you, um, ammo, but I never did. Um, this game, uh, has been really, lots of attention has been put into, into making sure you, you engage with its core kind of triumphant kind of, uh, economy where chainsaw things and you get um, ammo um, you never have very much ammo and you're constantly running out of it per weapon so you're constantly thinking switching between weapons and constantly thinking about how you're going to get more ammo um, you're constantly thinking about health like everything hits like a steam train so your your health bar is just zipping up and down all the time and so you do glory kills to get your health back and then you can get um, um, armor by setting stuff on fire but I don't think that it's fully like this is just emblematic of of its systems where there are so many systems and so many things you're collecting and thinking about or meant to be thinking about any time that I generally have forgotten about flaming things. I never think about armor unless there's a green thing to pick up off the floor. Um, and so there's a lot about its economy, which seems almost irrelevant a lot of the time until i die in which case i care about it but that's far too late and that's basically my doom experience so far like thrill thrilling fast flowing action enjoying the fight and then i die and i think oh for god's sakes i didn't flame something so i had armor or oh, why didn't i chainsaw something so that i had ammo so um i had a breakthrough with it literally today where I went from that side of, I'm before where you're at in the game, but I had a moment where it really finally clicked and I realized, and, and it was partly triggered by something Tom Senior had said, um, which is that it's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Tom, basically, it's a Devil May Cry game, which surprised me. Mm. Um, mm. it really is, like, it's, it's, it's got, it has, a, or, it, it is obviously it's a first person shooter, it, you know, but the, it has a very similar progression in terms of your understanding where you are overwhelmed very quickly by the amount of weapons and techniques and things you need to to pay attention to and you initially ignore everything your brain can't handle like combos or or something like that and then there comes a point where i think you legitimately learn how to see all of the opportunities that it's presenting to you to use abilities in certain ways and it's like it's really clear to me that with this game, and it's, it's actually, I think it's strikingly different to Doom 2016, despite um, yeah. having a lot of the same vocabulary. Um, it seems, it's, it's, it's obvious to me that they built this very, very ornate sort of FPS combat sandbox first, and then everything else came after that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the, the shoulder-mounted flamethrower that sets people on fire when they're on fire, if they take damage, they drop armor, the chainsaw 
that gives you uh, ammo, the glory kills, which are when an enemy is low on health, you can execute them, which gives you an invulnerability window and health and time to think. That was one of my, one of my like little yeah. plateau leaping moments was, oh, the glory kills are when you look at your cooldowns and plan your next thing. It's like, um, and then the way that different weapons interact with different enemy types, the fact that, uh, enemies have specific weaknesses that aren't maybe weapon specific, but different weapons would be better at exploiting them. Um, your movement, which is now this mixture of, uh, obviously running, double jump, double dash, monkey bars, <laughs> um, monkey bars and, uh, the fucking incredible grappling hook, which, uh, that's when I asked if you didn't know if you had the super shotgun yet, because a lot of this came in around the moment for me where you get the super shotgun, which is the traditional sort of breech loaded double barrel shotgun, but it now has this enemy targeting grapple line on the bottom of it. Uh, which grabs an enemy and pulls you towards them, but you have decent, you have, you almost like, you have a decent freedom of movement when you're moving towards them to whip yourself around and behind them. Um, and then this all kind of combos with its, like, system of, like, plug-in modifiers, the runes. So, I think if you're struggling to figure out what that game's about, the best combo I can recommend is unlock the rune that lets you slow down time if you hold down right mouse button when you're in midair. Yeah. And combine that with the grapple hook, which is also a right click, and you get these incredible, like, um, slow mo grapple navigations through crazy piles of, of, of gibbery demons, and it feels amazing. And then that sort of evolved for me into realizing, oh, you don't have to be thinking about the flamethrower all the time. You need to learn to recognize the situations where the flamethrower is good. So for example, and, uh, there are, rubbish zombie enemies that seem to only there to get in your way. They don't have a ranged attack, they don't do very much, but they occasionally appear in, in kind of groups. Uh and they if you see them, they are essentially an armor pickup by a different name. Yeah. They're they're like an active armor pickup. Or health. Have, they're just a pickup basically. They, yeah, they but that but what I'm saying is like most like yeah. so glory kills, everyone can get you health and actually bigger enemies get you more, so that's that's the way you should be thinking about that clusters of zombies give you shitloads of armor and specifically armor if you set them on fire and just you know smash them all at once and so that's the thing that really started to make it work for me was realizing oh you can you can it's that weakness where it's, it's a broad enough system and a granular enough system that you can get through it in lots of different ways but there are there's sort of uh efficiencies and optimization to find um and sort of ways of like you said, you know, your health is always zipping up and down. That I find a really kind of yeah. fun and exciting thing when combined with what is effectively a series of boss style combat arenas where in normal boss fight, your health gets really low. Something's gone seriously wrong. Whereas in this, it's just the next situation you have to deal with. You spend your health to, to achieve a particular thing. Exactly. Really. And then you're off in a different direction. You have lots of different options for getting your health back. But that's going to be situational and based on the speed with which you can make decisions and stuff. I, I, like, I've gone from being like, mm, have they overcomplicated this to now really, really loving it? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with all of that. Uh, yeah, and it's like the, I think that you, I think for a lot of, I think something that a lot of people would bounce off of, like, well, I can imagine is that, you know, we've all been trained that, that health is something that to be hoarded. And, you know, if that dips below 50, you know, you, 
you get worried you know that that's kind of that's a bad thing and it's going to take a lot of effort to get it back again and this is a game where you just get used to the little whoop whoop when when of mm-hmm. warning when when it dips below i don't know 50 or 40 or something and then oh that's fine you know i, I will glory kill and it's all fine it's under control and that do you feeling, think sorry do you off. think the, do you think the game is um cheating a little in order to allow you to survive when you're at low health because sometimes i get taken down to like a tiny sliver of health and yet i then persist at that level of health in probably for a remarkable amount of time before suddenly recovering all of my health and i wonder if the game is is just kind of creating a sense of peril and then actually withholding actual peril which is good i'm saying this is a great yeah (laughs) yeah i think i think it um i think one thing that helps is there are basically no hit scan weapons in it so if you're bouncing away and you move really fast, you tend not to get hit very much. Like you tend to, um, I think it's, it's sort of notable that like you tend to get hit when you're running into the line of fire and not when you're moving away from it. And I don't know how much that is it literally making enemies less accurate if you're low on health, which it could definitely be doing. Or if it's just the way that the weapons work. I do think the amount of health it spawns for you is, is one way that it modifies that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, the amount of health that you get get back from a glory kill and the amount of damage that you take because you know the number of times i've killed been killed uh is is much lower than the number of times that my health has been at seven you know yeah where right. my love my, my health is at 100 or like 100 percent, you know uh and then suddenly i'm at 40 in one hit but then i won't go to zero you know for ages mm. i think that's one thing that's really remarkable about it is like i think it's actually and it's it's a strange game, and it's it's solved, I think, or, or approached a solution to stuff that we're so used to in the way that FPS games are designed, or even just games that you no longer think of them as a problem. Like the purpose of a health bar should really be to create drama when your health is low. That yeah. that is the reason to have it rather than a fail state of of another kind. The mm. problem is that we don't really approach it that way. Players hoard, so they you know low health is basically just seen as a failure already like it's, yeah. it's 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 a it's a marker on the journey to you're about to lose rather than it being a um just an another kind of variable that can be switched on to kind of make you feel a particular way and i think this actually gets towards it and you actually have to train yourself out of believing oh that that monster knocked me all the way down from full health to seven health therefore I did this wrong. That could actually have been the right decision to make. And you've calculated that because you can also calculate how much health you can get back by a different way. Like that's kind of something that it has in common with things like Bloodborne, for example, which is another game that, yeah. that, that did this well. And it, it's, it's really exciting to see something kind of, um, uh, engage with that. Like I think one of its weaknesses actually is it's so different to other FPS games in terms of what it's doing that it does feel like the product of a kind of completely different branch. Oh, yeah. Thinking, which is weird because it's doom. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and, and similarly, like, it's down to the fact that, like, um, you know, all of its special abilities are bound to buttons that you would be using for other things. Like, um, the flamethrower is on R, which is the yeah. weirdest place to put something in an FPS because you're constantly looking <laughs> to tap R. And then, but it doesn't do anything like what you're expected to do because nothing needs to be reloaded ever. Cause of course it doesn't. <laughs> Are they um i i was just um the the well, going back to your point about um 
the making you rethink what health is and things what it also did and this is something that doom 2016 did as well but um by having pickups off the floor like you know this was this was an old piece of design which which was which was cast aside years and years ago because it was so arbitrary you know it you know doom's putting items on the ground slowed down the game because it forced you to go and backtrack to go back to the stim pack that you knew it was there because now your, your health is low um and you know that was jettisoned recharging health and all these other solutions this you know resolutely mm. puts stuff on the floor again but but because your health is so dynamic, it fulfills a totally different um, uh, function, which is to keep you moving. And like, you know, I've, I've fought in this area. If I fight in that over area, there will be pickups over there, which I haven't exploited yet. Um, uh, the, you know, and now I'm in fighting a different place. The, the battle feels different. There are new opportunities, other things to learn. Everything's different. Um, the, it, you know, it just constantly feels mixed up, mashed around, just exciting. And I think like it's, it's this game's kind of free hand with old ideas and making them completely different, which is, for me is super fun, super mm. exciting have you found it so far Marsh I, I mean I, f- I feel the same way I, I have to say um, it did um, I, uh, one of the reasons I haven't got much further with it is that I I didn't play it for a day then I came back to it and then all the things that I'd forgotten just overwhelmed me <laughs> um <laughs> And I, I was in, in some frustration, but that's I know a weird that's... thing to experience at Doom, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing. I mean, I've seen some people saying how pure it is, but I'm what? It's, it's, and there's so many ancillary systems to it. There's so much going on. Mm. I think something you said in chat the other day, Chris, was was really good uh, because I, mean, I, I think all of us were experiencing that that moment where you're overwhelmed, and there's so many different ways of unlocking things, and you, you know, you you go back to your the the hub, and then you're you're getting fucking I don't know some kind of void tokens to unlock a, to unlock citadel biscuits or something like this. <laughs> a ghost and, has given me a big coin. <laughs> exactly, and then all of these things are unlocking different things, and then all your weapons have alternate fire modes, and the, the alternate fire modes have alternate fire modes that you can switch between <laughs> with a different button, and it's it's just too much. Um, but then uh, then in, in in chat you said, well, I mean, uh, you kind of resigned yourself to that because you know what all you need to do really to earn all these different things is just to fight <laughs> and that's it really yeah so sometimes you have to fight and sometimes you have to turn left when it wants you to turn right and go to the hidden thing yeah. those are the two things fight and find and secrets are yeah. basically the only only two things really that you need to do to unlock everything but I, I do um, I do think your um, comparison to a uh, like fighting games like Devil May Cry is, is good I think it's designed I think if you're playing this as a as a sort of casual uh, linear shooter, you may may f- find it not scratching that itch because I think it is much more about exploring mm. that skill ceiling. Each battle is more or less the same sort of thing <laughs> as the last one, in a, in a way. I mean, it's it's mm. you know, the environments are, have different ways of exploiting them, and that's that's what's exciting about it. But it's essentially the same box of tricks that's just being reordered in a different arena yeah. each time e- as you progress through the game. It feels that, like sometimes yeah. that that idea is um, means that the areas can feel really bizarre. Like it, you know, it wants you to believe that you are in a place. Like you know, you're yeah. in a 
weird space castle or you're on you know for hell infected earth but it also is bowser's castle by the way <laughs> and you're also doing monkey bars and you're also doing this and that and like it it can feel a bit bananas sometimes it is it's it's so video gamey that's what i thought was interesting is what it's such a strange thing because it feels like out of that uh you know doom 2016 which grew out of the cancelled Doom Four, like that game, had this sort of weird. Uh, they are, they had obviously the making of that game was very troubled, but or the making of the new Doom, which went through several iterations, and they obviously had this come to Jesus moment where they realised, oh, this needs to be fun and a throwback and exciting and kinetic. Like no one wants aim down sights Call of Doom, right? Like, yeah. and and they had this moment, but that game exists sort of half and half, right? Like it is one journey from A to B to Hell. And like, uh, you know, there are characters and, and, you know, you explore, you, you kind of discover that world with the Doom Slayer as you go, you know, to some extent he's, you know, he's a big beefy Gordon Freeman, but like, it's, it's kind of has some structure like that. This one, you know, I really like the opening and I'm, I'm a sucker for that music and stuff. Um, mm. but then like, it's just, it goes from zero to a million immediately. <laughs> and it is geographically and aesthetically so, like, incredibly all over the place that it's impossible to really attach to it. In fact, one thing it feels like is it feels like a story bolted, like, a story told through the, the levels of a multiplayer game. Like, a bit like the, um, was it the like the single player almost like arcade mode in Quake Arena where it was yeah, like yeah, you just yeah. go from level to level and ostensibly this is a world people inhabit but it's not really yeah. it's a first person shooter verse and like that it feels like that like your Doom guy has an unexplained floating space station castle <laughs> fortress which I think is an out and out tribute to among other things facing worlds right like mm. your the classic Unreal Tournament map you're kind of there and they've they've blown out the scope of its reference. Um, it's reference, it's a referentialness. I don't think just... you'd find anybody from the, from, uh, id or the Quake team saying that they took inspiration from yeah, Epic's I game. That. But no, well, I, a, I, I suspect a, you're correct nonetheless. There's an out and out <laughs> tribute to Unreal Tournament in that level. Like, they are, like, there's, um, you know, uh, they, well, what I'm saying is, is it's kind of, it's gone from being this thing that's very reverential to Doom specifically to being something that is absolutely a tribute to, like, the FPS, FPSs of the 90s. Basically. Right. Have there's, you been? Um, to, have you been in his in his den? Yeah. This is what I was going to mention. The yeah. bookshelves. So, like, the, there's one bookshelf that has uh, a little line of books on it. I thought this was really nice, actually. Which games were there? Because it's uh, there's books with titles that reference different games, and there's Half Life, Deus Ex, uh, uh, Doom, obviously Quake, uh, Unreal Tournament, um, Destiny, which surprised me to see it there. Oh, I didn't know someone. Um, and uh, System Shock. And Devil Daggers. And yeah, Dev that's right. Yeah. Devil Daggers being there is really lovely. Like, that was a really nice... That must be cool for for those guys to I mean, but that's see. the game that it's most like, I think. Yeah. Really, the new Doom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you're on the space station, you don't know why, and then you're on... Then you're, you're in a Devil Fortress, and you decapitate a man, you don't know who he is, and then the Devil Fortress is on the back of a giant, and the giant was, I don't know, punching a city, and then you're in the city, but the city's full of meat. And then you go to the Arctic... And it's, and no, um, but actually no, you don't. In the middle, you go to heaven, I think. 
Heaven? I don't know it's what that heaven. place is. You no, know, it's look, it looks it's... kind of angelic in, in its uh, iconography. Oh, this is the place with all the wolves. No, I guess, is it the Citadel of Slayers or something? It's, it's, it's right, a yeah. sentinel keep or something. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and like, it's it's absolutely all over the place. I kind of like like that about it, but it's it's such a strange thing because it's so hard to follow and it's so dense with lore at the same time, but that's not why it's hard to follow. Yeah, it's it's like, like, there is a huge amount of lore writing going on yeah. in the game, but it's like, but, um, how how are you getting on with it? Sort of, there are there are loads of layers and sort of aspects to its humor. There's a level, there's a layer in its humor which I'm really kind of finding grating now, which is the um, which is the uh, corporate. Uh, uh, kind of um, hologram lady who talks about the um, uh, the mortally challenged, and it's used this joke a lot now, and it's time yeah. to stop. Yeah, that bit, like the it's it's like the checklist of its influences, like the Total Recall stuff. It don't <laughs> it don't work anymore. Just they've done that. They don't need to do that anymore. But when you you bonk a zombie on its head so hard, its head goes down into its torso, <laughs> and it looks surprised and fall over. That's good every time. It really is. <laughs> it it has a very very good sense of um uh, slapstick. There's like a little you uh, a lot of the the glory kills for um caco demons involve pulling their eyes out, and it's grim. But it does this little like. Pop, kind of like weird cartoonish almost I've been playing this as well Animal Crossing sort of like you've yeah. just yanked a turnip out of the ground pop sound effect that is so <laughs> at odds with its like now increasingly Warhammery kind of space gothic heavy metal fantasy thing do you, do you like the way he scrambles up walls yeah it just like <laughs> like uh, oh god it's this I I was writing notes for this and I wrote the doom toddler has become too powerful <laughs> and I, and I, I wrote this because there's something about who you are is the, because he's yeah. got this little room now with his, his collection of electric guitars and his gaming PC and his and toys his, and his Funko Pops and his Funko Pops. <laughs> this God. is something that Jake Castello wrote on um, on uh, VG twenty four seven. She described it. He's basically a legend of ancient myth, but he's also a thirty year old white guy with a Funko Pop wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's but like I don't know. But that's the thing is I can't decide whether he's like this sort of like. Whether he is the final form of the Urteen, to some extent, yeah. or whether he's more like, um, because there's something quite sort of, I don't know, like, there's, there's a kind of chaotic kind of toddler energy, I think, to him <laughs> in the sort of like, I am going to destroy, right? Like, crush and throw until it is done. Um, like, the, I find it's almost charming. It's, it's strange. Like, it's such a bizarre, sort of situation to put you in also because they decided to humanize them slightly more like you can see his yeah. face yeah 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 uh um th the other thing i was going to mention was um we, we talked about that first boss um how, how did you enjoy the the tutorial to told you that how the boss works because <laughs> that's something that dmc would never do <laughs> right well it does this is one thing that's really interesting about it is every time you meet a new enemy that has a weakness it just does a pop-up and says it's this by the way yeah like the, that must be the product of some kind of yeah. some playtesting finding. It's like a latent, latent development. Like, oh Christ, nobody knows how to play it. Yeah, right. Like we've, we've designed too many systems. I think that's one of the ways it feels. It it definitely feels like the sandbox came first, and they weren't quite sure how to introduce people to it because they may have determined that there's the scope of the game they wanted to build. Because these levels are massive as well. as the other thing. Mm. Like they're so big, and like it feels like they had the option to build loads of massive levels 
or and maybe like cut two of them and do a linear opening that slowly brings in all these systems and they decided fuck that we'll just introduce all the systems at once at the beginning and p- people will cope yeah and grasp may- the nettle yeah and, and given that it's got all these other bolt-on things like the cheat codes and the mastery levels and the remixed version of levels there may be and the fact it's basically got a season pass as well but I don't think you have to pay for it like there's there's a there's a live serviciness about this and it feels like a more linear opening um would have played against that like they want to be able to repurpose every inch of the levels yeah. in multiple ways every arena could be done for different kinds of thing yeah um the fascinating thing though is it's really unlike anything else that um I could I could think of really because it's so unlike Doom 2016 I really wanted to deliver some like some big sort of designed moments though I think like you know the, the, the get the moment you get the BFG in Doom 2016 which is great like it's such a great reveal yeah and I'm hoping for more of that sort of thing rather than just sort of arenas and amazing combat which is not a bad thing but yeah I have to say, I, I'm left a bit cold by some of the stuff you do in between the re- arenas. Like, mm. uh, in the hell part, you are powering up these giant mechs to blow open the guts of giant demons so that you can go through the guts and access another an arena. Um, and that sort of um, very, very low-level environmental puzzle-solving uh, to find a big battery pack to put in the big battery hole to make the thing open is just uh, mm. it f- feels a bit feels a bit like it's just kind of twiddling its thumbs whilst you get to the next uh, the, yeah. the actual meat of the game. Have you yeah. had enough of a rest yet? Okay, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I, I find the level after that one. I thought I actually really liked. It's, it's far more jump puzzly using all the traversal systems, but I did. I liked that a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Partly because it that's actually teaching you a skill that will be useful. Like, I think that's the downside of the carry thing to thing puzzles is that's not something you ever do in an arena. Yeah, but true. When it teaches you to climb fast and double dash and grab monkey bars mm-hmm. and make use of that to reach a particular place. And that actually does is useful later on. Oh gosh, that wall gripping is so, I, I, the, the, yeah, I mean, aesthetically, I don't think uh, any other game has gripped walls as tough, as, as hard as, uh, as Doom <laughs> 2020 does. They look it's like just... the, the climbable walls look like like the kinds of like you know um, sort of nibble rusks that you'd put in a budgie cage. <laughs> like it's, it's like he's doing his claws on them. You know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. he's a cat. I don't know what he is. <laughs> he's either horrific, or it's sort of like a, a horror film style scuttling up a wall, or it's ineffably <laughs> kind of childish. And I don't know which. Yeah, I don't know which it is. Exactly, the Doom Toddler. Like this is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's such a strange thing. Oh, I, uh, I, I am enjoying. It. Uh, so the um, I've I've just finished going going back to kind of the the feel of each of the areas. I've just done um, the area on Earth, which they actually showed during the initial reveals. Mm. So this is Meet Earth, um, and it's uh, this area is totally vast the others are big and this is just bewilderingly vast um and you're collecting three keys and it really does teeter on the edge of kind of i cannot understand this area i don't know where i saw the you know it does that thing where you collect the key or you do something and then it shows you a door Mm. opening it with the door in this case is a, a mouth filled with teeth but you know uh 
and I, you, just, you have that panic well, I don't know where that is I, how am I going to find that you know and then yeah. you do find it but you don't feel very clever for it because you know that it's just in the next room because they, they know that they've made something so inconceivably sort of large and hard to hold in your head that there's no way you're going to do it without them basically putting it next to where you are and there's a, yeah I didn't feel clever somehow I managed to my, pick my way through this level but somehow I also didn't feel clever for it because because it was always there and that 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 felt a shame and i mm. you know and that's that's with memories of playing the original doom and constantly getting lost and not knowing where to go on so you know it does have a proud heritage in in that kind of thing yeah have, have either of you played the multiplayer no, no. Uh, i played a, a few rounds earlier that's it's it's mad it's a completely mad thing that they've made which <laughs> is I, I don't know if it's fun do you know how it works no. no. Okay. Oh, so, is, it, is it like the original where you you're you're getting monsters to be at the players as well? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know how much like. So basically, it's two v one, two two demons versus one slayer. Oh, okay. And the I, I I played as the Doom Slayer uh, twice, and basically, uh, you're in an arena. It's an arena fight. If you, it's a, it's first to three wins. The demons win if the doomslayer dies, and the doomslayer wins if both demons are dead at the same time because they respawn after twenty seconds. Um, and the as the slayer, it's normal doom with the exception of the two of the demons are controlled by, and they are demon types from the main game, um, are controlled by players. As the demons. Uh, I did the tutorial for this stuff. I haven't actually tried it against people because I was too intimidated. It's this weird mix of playing Doom, but as like a specialist class with, you know, limited movement or you're massive or you can fly or something while also playing like quite complicated, like hotkey based strategy game <laughs> because you can, each of you can summon the other kinds of AI controlled regular monsters. And you do this by selecting them like as you would a weapon, but with uh, just on a UI and then holding control while looking at the ground to bring them out. And so I know this is on my mind because I've played a lot of Animal Crossing this week, but it feels because you have to like, you, you don't just sort of press buttons to add them to the game. You have to decide where they're going to be and almost like plant them. And so you're, you're running around sort of far, like create harvesting and farming demons for this slayer to fight. And then they've added all these mechanics like, um, if the player demons can get to the various pickups that monsters drop before the player does, before the slayer does, they can destroy them, um, on a cooldown, which allows them to deny the economy. Like, they're, they're aware, obviously they're very aware of the economy of the game and how it functions, so they're expecting you to be so strategically aware of how to, how to screw up someone's, uh, you know, survival by taking away the health that they're relying on, that kind of thing. Um, and you can, they can also deploy like special abilities. They have loadouts that like they can create healing zones for themselves and stuff. It's, and then between every round, everyone gets an upgrade and it's, it's just, there's so much going on. Like it's quite fun, but like, but completely overwhelming. And I, I kind of wonder about the utility or viability of 2v1 as a format partly because mm. it sounds like if you had three of you and you wanted to I think three people is perfect because it's three of you you can mix up the teams you can have to take turns being the slayer um, four people you're shafted basically and two people is a weird one because I guess you could go and be demons together and fight random doom slayers from the internet but it's, it just seems like a bit of a weird 
bat, a weird group to try and arrange for it. But it it is, and it's interesting. I I, I really I don't know jury's completely out on it, and obviously the fundamental mechanics are so good that it kind of helps. But yeah, is it going to be the only mo- multiplayer get mode that's going to come through in it? Because I agree, it, it mm. does. It's so non-standard and kind of a uh, a social that that I can't really see that it's. They would have much of a life because I don't think mm. it, the multiplayer in the in in Doom twenty sixteen did, you know, held particularly strong over time. No, no, I don't think it did. But that was fairly straightforward as well. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, real weird. Time will tell. Mm. Mm. Is it time to time do some what? questions? From questions. Yes, it is. Yes. Mm. Yes, it is. It is. Yes. Mm. This is strange because I've just got them open in my browser in front of me and it, like, there's none of the normal kind of messing with a phone or having to turn them 360 degrees away from the microphone to look at them or something. It's, it's convenient. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Basically, this change is scary. Why am I still talking? Andrew writes, Good evening, guys. I apologize that I couldn't think of a decent pun. Uh, please don't worry about that at all. And Andrew has a question. Uh, right, Andrew has a long and very lovely email, but we're going to skip to the question, uh, which is, do you have a podcast game? By that, I mean a game or genre that you specifically throw on to either relax and listen to podcasts or just relax in general. Mine tend to be driving games in the vein of Euro Truck Simulator or more recently Mudrunner. With the latter, I just enjoy the experience of draggling, draggling, dragging a couple of tons of logs on a Soviet-era truck to simulated knee-deep mud while listening to the disembodied voices of people discuss what happened to Sonic Dogs in Half-Life 2. <laughs> As an aside, I'm also very excited for its sequel, SnowRunner, but that's another digression in an already long email, so I'll leave that be. Additionally, what podcasts are you listening to at the moment? Any standouts you would recommend? Uh, apologies for the long email, I hope it makes sense, and I hope the question isn't too boring. I look forward to listening to you talk about the latest hot gaming news as the world slowly quarantines itself. Uh, kind regards... Andrew, P.S. Little Grey Cells or C and C D and D. Um, so uh, I don't know whether that last part was which one of them will come back or uh, um, which, which one you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, stuck inside a lot at the moment. I did actually successfully use Roll Twenty for the first time this week to run a tabletop role playing game. I'd love did to see more of that. I did, yeah. Yeah, we did a we we did a low tech uh, Discord one earlier this week mm. as well. It's good. Sophie's dice, really good uh, dice throwing yeah. simulator. Oh, I came up with a different solution. It was it was even more pretty, but 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 our our, our GM will never accept it. But regardless, mm. uh, pod pod games. games yeah and driving so i was thinking like i like this question because like there is a very specific kind of game for me that works and it is driving games so i can do track driving games and uh truck driving games um they're both good good pod games there's a sort of like a level of activity which that with driving games uh, like a perfect for like your you have enough of your brain just looking for something else to um, latch onto while doing it and yeah driving games just a lovely mm. thing to do I um I don't really listen to podcasts at all anymore um really uh, at least not while I'm at my computer um but I do if I'm having a morning where I'm or, or like editing a pod for any other reason 
uh, I do play a lot of Destiny. I know mean, it's a very easy answer for me, but I, I do actually find that quite a relaxing way to spend time is to go through audio edits while shooting the spacemen, finishing off the space bounties, acquiring the space numbers. Yeah, it sort of occupies a set, the same sort of level mm. of brain activity, doesn't it? Yeah, it's also games I can play while essentially on the phone to someone else, basically. Mm. This is exactly the same thing. Do you do you not um, listen to pods while painting Warhammer? Um, no, not really. Hmm. Um, like, I tend to... So, I went through a long period of listening to basically exclusively live play D&D podcasts. Um, uh, chiefly the uh, Penny Arcade Adventure Incorporated C-Team stuff, because I really like that. Um, but I just have stopped. Like, where if I'm painting or doing the dishes or cooking, I tend to either listen to music or I have, like, YouTube stuff on in the background, or, like video essays and things like that now. Tend not to listen to pods. No, nothing against the medium, he said, recording a podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just not my go-to anymore. Um, as a as a recommendation, uh, I've been listening to the boring talks, which are really mm. good. Don't know if you come across them, but they're like you've been listening to my boring talks all all evening, Alex. That that's why I enjoy them so very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I, this is like. But they're between around 20 minutes long and they're just somebody talking about um, something that's ostensibly boring but because they have a deep interest in it it is in, it's just interested so uh, to listen to the moment there's one on data centers there's one on crinoline ladies the one on teletext was good um, uh, the sounds of computer games load um, uh, loading and that was um, that was done by Keith Stewart who mm. You know, oh. from Gamesland. Mm. Well, there was one that you particularly recommended to me that was really good. Did I? Yeah. Oh, it was about um, the, the silences on the Watergate tapes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was another one. Yeah. That's really good. That's yeah. really interesting. I mean... Uh, it really was. And it, there's nothing boring about any of these things, but it's, it's uh, you know, it, yeah, the Watergate tapes. And uh, there are parts of the Watergate tapes that are very, very evidently missing. <laughs> and uh, the, there's a lot of conjecture and analysis as to what might be missing and why, uh, going down to the, the very technical details of what it sounds like for one of the recording devices to be turned off and the texture of the silence that it creates and yeah. things Ooh. like this. It's uh, <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, they're all they're all they've all got their individual flavour. Each of the ones, but they're they're maintained a very high high standard. Lovely. Any pod recommendations from you, Mush? Um, I mean, I, I I haven't listened to that many podcasts recently. I used to listen to an awful lot of This American Life, but mm. in recent years, This American Life, because it deals with you know American lives in the present, have become a reflection of the terrible dystopia which I generally wish to escape using media. Mm. Um, but you can go back into its uh, massive archive and find such gems as the Squirrel Cop episode, which is <laughs> tr truly one of the greatest stories God, ever told. the things we thought were problems a couple of years ago. <laughs> Too much squirrel crime. Like, I, I would love those days back, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, there's, there's also an episode, I forget the name, I think the episode's called Doppelgangers, um, but the segment that you're particularly interested in is... Uh, uh, could be synopsized if it's not called squid or bung mm, uh, which is a very uh, yeah classic and troubling story <laughs> 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 so yeah good 
Good. Uh, our next question uh, is actually kind of a technical one, so I'll get through quickly. But uh, yeah, it's from Derek, who writes, um, quick note on the technicality. I use Podbean. For some reason, CNC isn't up to date on there. The last podcast showing is from December. Hope you can sort this out at some point and get to my ears that bit quicker until the collapse of civilization, which is due in July or August. Uh, cheers, Derek. So, uh, I don't really know what Podbean is, but there has been, like, no technical change to the way the podcast is uploaded or distributed, um, that I know of. So, unless a WordPress update has broken something or something like that, I really don't know what this is. So the reason for reading this out on air is essentially, if anyone else is having trouble, uh, well, actually, you're not clearly because you're listening to this. Hmm. If anyone else is getting, <laughs> good job, Chris. If anyone else is having trouble with this kind of thing, uh, do send us an email and let us know, but we probably need more details than just what you're using and when, because um, whether it's an RSS issue or something like that, nothing has changed. So to troubleshoot it, we kind of probably need a little bit more info than that. But I'll see if we can sort it out. In the meantime, you can always listen on YouTube as well. Uh, the next question comes from Aiden, who writes, Hello, is Marsh related to Susie Dent? Was he a weatherman in a previous life? Plangent? Dolorous, catabatic. <laughs> this sort of frontogenesis is unacceptable. Love the pod, Aiden. You know, only one of those things is a tribes map. <laughs> really? Which one? Catabatic. Catabatic. Yeah, well, that makes sense mm. in, in tribes. Yeah. Uh, what does catabatic, catabatic mean? Uh, well, it comes in meteorological terms to mean uh, a descent, a descending wind, yeah. very strongly descending wind. So a catabatic wind is usually one that uh, starts at the top of a mountain and rushes down at a great speed. Mm. But in terms of Greek myth, which is how I uh, encountered the term, it generally means a descent into the underworld. So huh. the story of Orpheus uh, is a catabatic story. Uh, obviously, on the return journey, it is not catabatic, it's anabatic. Mm. But only for one of them. That's Orpheus what that's if you, you've got a peanut allergy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about the word catabatic recently, partly because of tribes and also partly because I fell down a YouTube hole while reading about the Dyatlov Pass incident. Oh, yeah, there you go. Which yeah, is another uh, catabatic wind is a theory there. This is a, 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 a lot of uh, hikers who vanished in the Urals in 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a good word. Where do you get all these good words from, Marsh? Is it books? Yeah. He's sometimes. a reader. He's a goddamn reader. I'm a big uh, admirer of Susie Dent, uh, and I'm a, uh, a real fan of, um, etymology. I just, I don't, I mean, I don't claim to have any great learning on the subject, but, um, I, I get really excited by the origins of words. Mm, I find it too. very pleasurable to look them up. So I have two um, massive etymological dictionaries uh, that I've been trying to find a home for because uh, I've been trying to shed books and it's very, very hard for me to part with these two mm. gigantic tomes. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with them. I hate words. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're progressing towards a kind of grunt-based system of podcasting <laughs> for a long time now and and if, if if the quality of our test recordings earlier this has been now about an hour and ten minutes of which actually makes me sound like KK Slider from Animal Crossing trying to throw up <laughs> Alex has only so far been able to utter the word Dijon, Dijon. what's your favourite kind of mustard Dijon <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have fun, don't we? 
Uh, even in these times. <laughs> even in these times. Especially in these times. Yeah, it's the first time I've uh, we, we've we've spoken um, in two weeks. It is that uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we've yeah. we've virtually spoken. That's true. That's true. That's all I need. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> People least affected by this react to this. <laughs> uh, that's my new YouTube channel. Um, all right. Final question comes from Mads, who writes, "Dear C and C." I used to care deeply about doing missions the right way, i.e. perfect stealth, headshots, nut shots, whatever the game would posit as perfection. Nowadays, I've embraced the Joe Brand school of thought. Fuck it, that'll do. Maybe it's two parts laziness to one part anti-save-scumming idealism to one part life-is-imperfection homespun philosophy. Maybe it's just age and time constraints. However, games feel made for the perfectionists and the role players, rather than model-throughers like me. My in-game evaluations and achievements are an endless row of bronze medals and patronising taking-part diplomas. Should muddling get more recognition and celebration, or should I just learn to ignore the extrinsic motivations? I can't deny I would love for an NPC to clap me on the shoulder and say, you did kind of fuck that up, didn't you? You lost over half the hostages and you didn't prevent the bridge from getting blown up, but I'll let you in on a secret. Nobody gives a shit about the secondary objectives anyway, so let's go get a beer. (laughs) All the best, Mads. (laughs) I think Mads is correct. Yes. I'm a fan of modelling. Mm. Uh, yeah. I think games have gotten better. Like, as to as to why he feels, you know, it, it easier to model now. I think games are better at supporting modelling than they were in the past. Like, mm. I think games in the past were very exacting. Like, they had a very specific way. They expected you to play them, and they would be punitive if you yeah. failed to do that. I think today... I got. I, I remember many conversations with Marsh over the years about how stealth games are good mm. when they let you recover from a fuck up. Mm. You know, I mean, like in in the early stealth games, usually you wouldn't. If you could recover from it, you would feel like a failure. But now there's more. Like a, a good stealth game is one that has a has fun in the act of recovering from a failure. Um, and like I think that's emblematic of 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 that kind of that trend yeah i think um i think there's well i I do think this is something that i've I've really appreciated about animal crossing this week i appreciate we did a a a mini pod about animal crossing on the over the weekend pip and i that you can listen to right now if you wish for more hot takes about that game but it's very good at just being pleasant to you whatever you do Hmm. like if you that you can't really fail you can't really succeed except on your own terms, but it's so, it, that doesn't, but it's not that nothing happens. It's just that the characters are always just pleased with whatever it is that you've done and, uh, you know, allow, expecting you to proceed at your own pace. They may react to say, I can't believe you got this done the same day I asked you to do it, but there's no benefit to that. And similarly, there's no benefit to taking a week either. Um, so that I think is a nice way to, it's, it's a nice palate cleanser after a lot of games that, where I think developers feel pressure to acknowledge extremely uh, effective or, or impressive play, which implicitly makes everyone else feel worse, I think, when you know that there are rewards or outcomes that you're not getting. Yeah. Like, I think self-set goals are naturally a good counter to this. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, Minecraft is kind of a perfect example of a muddling game, I think. 
right? Like no one's there to reward you explicitly yeah. for. You started to build a hut, and then you kind of gave up, and you kind of did something else instead, and that's all fine. Yeah, it's fine actually. Uh, yeah, any other good muddling games you can think of? Hmm. Apparently not. Apparently not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, Alex and and Marsh, we did kind of fuck that question up, but it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I think in many ways, it's been good that we fucked it up. All right. <laughs> What's going on? I don't now? know. I was waiting for something to give me something like like I wanted to fucking doom guy grapple something so that I could end the podcast, but there was just like nothing there. And I was in the void. Like in real life, there could be some physical emoting, but but no. Uh, regardless of our successes or failures as people, that is all of the questions that we have time for. It's going to be obviously a shorter pod than usual, and apologies for that. Uh, largely just getting used to this format. Uh, I don't really want to invest in a super long pod while we're still unsure about how well this is going to work. Um, but we will be back next week, and we'll continue to uh, find ways to produce content uh, while uh, stuck in our homes. Stuck in the mud. Exactly. I don't live in the mud, Alex, but (laughs) if you would like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us the questions on crateandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at crateandcrowbar. You can find this podcast on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash crateandcrowbar. And you can, uh, if you wish, support the podcast on Patreon. Thank you very much to everybody who continues to support the podcast. Uh, you can find out more details about the podcast Patreon at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. That's more or less it from us. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Uh, make sure you set the men on fire before you punch them for the armor mm. points. <laughs> uh, I've been Chris Thurston. And I've been Alex Wiltshire. And I continue to be Marsh Davis. Thanks for listening, everybody.